Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Vasily Cullerman joins me, and we discuss art and a variety of other topics, including his newest Kickstarter, Dungeon, which is spelled D-N-G-N. Vasily creates zines, and he has a great visual approach that matches his often surreal subject matter. I do have a Patreon, and for the price of $1 a month, you will not only support me, but you get outtakes from this show. Well, except there are no outtakes from this show. If there were, it would have been an additional hour of content because we kept rambling. But there is plenty of other content from other shows that you can get there. Get your tokens ready. It's time to step on the bus. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Vasily. Hey, Jeff. It is great to have you on. Uh, you know, you, you uh, have a Kickstarter, which uh, which I noticed, but I also got access to some of your earlier works. And um, I must say that um, notably Aquilus uh, being, I think, one I remember most distinctly, uh, especially from, I think, didn't, you, uh, didn't Aquilus 2 you launch for Zine Quest, was it two years ago or last year? I, 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 I. Aquilus 2 I just released on my own. I didn't. I didn't actually do it as part of Zine Quest. Um, I. I. I, th- I think I wanted to do something as part of Zine Quest, but for some reason I did it. But not. Not. I. I just actually sort of published that kind of independently. Yeah, it's. Uh, there. <laughs> the images stand out. So I. You know, I didn't when it first came out. Did not uh, pick it up. Um, but. I will tell you that the the zine, uh, the, the the stuff that he'd shown had uh, made a very lasting impression in my psyche. Uh, you know how some images do. And what I found was interesting because it seemed like every zine you have have done, at least each, um, I don't want to say each group, but you've done Aquilus and you did Nightland and you, you did, uh, was it Xanadu? That's right. That's right. Okay. And, and, you seem to be taking a little different angle, but what was interesting was reading uh, the introduction to Aquilus. You, you talked about how you kind of to summarize, kind of came back to D and D after kind of a period of time, and kind of found that the OSR group was a lot of blogging um, and a lot of I won't say intellectual, but I mean there's a lot of people treating it both, both as fun and serious, both. I mean, we can, we can have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we can treat it both. And then you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do my heartbreaker. And then you said you wrote, uh, what was it, a thousand pages of notes for Aquilus? Uh, I did. Yeah. I started, I, I started taking notes um, kind of in about maybe 2013 or 2012. And, and, and these were just kind of bullet points for kind of just weird stuff, really, just like imagery, scenes, kinds of ideas and things like that. And I, I, just, I just couldn't kind of work out how to, how to actually make notes into something tangible, like put them on a page. I just, I just had some kind of blockage, you know, where, where I just couldn't really take them out of Google Docs and then actually put them on a page and make it into some kind of coherent form. Um, and, you know, and, and it wasn't until I started, I, I thought of a name for, you know, for, for a zine, which was a Quilus, uh, you know, that, that, you know, could be this kind of repository for, for, for these ideas. I mean, it really took that to, to, 
to kind of get any sense of, you know, how, how I could actually sort of compile them into some kind of, you know, book that I could make. So these are kind of just really more or less, uh, yeah, because I mean, I've had similar experience where you're not having to worry about taking a thousand page of notes and making a, a, a hundred and twenty five page hardback book. So the zine really kind of in this format, are you planning on in the end, once you, I guess, get a number of these out, recompile them into a more of a single work? I'd, I'd sort of like to. I mean, you know, I mean, I was really heavily influenced by Lovecraft's Dreamlands. Um, and, and the work of Clark Ashton Smith. So I think Aquilas has that kind of tone. I mean, it's very kind, you know, it's very kind of surreal. The whole thing's very hallucinogenic. I mean, I'm not even sure if a lot of it makes sense or, or how gameable any, any of it is, to be honest. But, 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 but I, I, I think what I'm planning to do is I've, I've actually finished Aquilas 3, um, and I actually was planning to, to, to release that as part of Zine Quest instead of this dungeon zine. But I, I think I'll probably release Aquilas 3 at the end of the year. But, but, but I think once I have, say, like, I don't know, like, say, five issues or something like that, I'll, I'll, I'll probably release it as some kind of omnibus, you know. Well, and Yeah, that does make sense. Because I've noticed, to me, what it is is, uh, is that... Um, this is very much like uh, Ben Lawrence's, well, I say very much, I don't mean very much. I mean, it's like you and Ben Lawrence with Geraltan's door, almost like took a single point, originated from a single point, but took different directions with it. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I'd, I'd sort of agree with that. Like, I, I actually love what Ben Lawrence does. Um, I mean, I love those uh through through Ulton's door zines. And I think I think conceptually it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of like going through a doorway into this like really strange kind of you know world and all these kinds of ideas that you know that that sort of come up within it with this kind of dream logic behind it. So I I, I think you're right about that. I mean um I mean yeah I mean look through Ulton's door is probably one you know, probably my favorite scene out there at the moment. Well, have you have you seen um, or do you have uh, ultraviolet grasslands? I, I do have that as well. I mean, that's you know that's another that's another. I mean, that's that's magnificent as well. I mean, it's, I mean, it's quite astounding that one creator actually does it all. That does the writing, oh, the art, yeah. and the layout. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing, you know. I mean, uh, I wish I could. I mean, I I do the layout and the writing, but but not the art. But that's yeah. I mean, you know, they're the kinds of things that really interest me um, in especially like contemporary sort of games, you know, like a this kind of, you know, dream world that's, you know, that's perhaps sort of, you know, genre, genre fusion as well. You know, this idea of having this sort of classic fantasy world but with elements of, you know, sci-fi and post-apocalypse and, you know, kind of an ambiguity as well. Like, you know, like, like I sort of think of Aquilus as being set in the really far future. Okay, like, you know something that's kind of maybe millions or billions of years into the future or something, or, or you know, or, or it could be the distant past. But I so I sort of tend to really enjoy reading stuff like that in 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 um in RPGs. You know, things that sort of you know kind of take a tangent and you know making them into these kinds of you know personal uh you know these these you know these kind of personal kind of world building. You know. Well, and you say personal kind of world building, because like if you look at like the the 
you know, through Ben's stuff, it's very localized. It's very much, but yours, and again, makes me think of, I don't want to say like ultraviolet grass because it was, it was contemporary, but the idea is it's more, I don't want to say expansive and I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but the idea is it, it feels more, um, it's not like a tight adventure. It's actually more like a loose experience. And I don't want, and kind of in some ways like a point crawl where not everything is highly detailed, but you also create a bunch of random tables to generate um, a unique feel every time it gets, it can be ran really, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I mean, I, I sort of see Aquilus is just, it, you know, it's just kind of ambience, really. It's just kind of, you know, atmosphere and, uh, and, and, and the random tables. Look, I mean, some people have told me they just read the, the random tables and they sort of get a lot out of it. Other people say that they've used, they've, they've used it as a cue, you know, uh, for, 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 for ideas in their own games. And, and I think Aquilus is, is, is really meant to be something like that. It's just really, you know, it's just really a repository for, for, for ideas I just sort of have, you know, and, um, and, and, and I thought sort of compiling it as a scene, you know, which is staple bound and everything. I thought that that was the best way to present it. And if you look at the other book that I did, which was Nightland, I mean, that's kind of far more specific, you know, that, that, right. that actually, that actually has, you know, locations and it's got the factions and it's got the point crawl. It does have random tables, but that's kind of highly sort of specific. That's a specific area. And 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 I, I kind of thought of Nightland as, as maybe being, you know, a part of Aquilus as well. Maybe that's the dark side of Aquilus. You know, maybe Aquilus isn't, I don't know, permanent daylight. Nightland's kind of, you know, kind of the other side of it. But 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 you know, you know, but with Aquilus, I I I I mean I just want it to be this kind of uh, this kind of thing. Well, you know, I have an idea. It's kind of weird. And what's the best way to present it? And I think, well, maybe the best way to present it is like a page in a zine, you know, like, and maybe presented as a random table or presented as a bit of information, which, you know, which people can sort of, you know, you know, hope, you know, hopefully draw upon. So, so, so that, you know, so I do want to keep Aquilus kind of fairly kind of loose in that sense. And, um, and, uh, you know, because I do have a lot of ideas and, 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 and that seems to have sort of worked and, you know, you know, and, and the response has been really positive as well. Like, I mean, I, you know, it's sort of built up like a, a small following now and, 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 you know, and, and it feels like a, you know, it's, it's just an area, you know, you know, the weird fantasy area is just, you know, something that interests me, has interest me, interested me greatly for, you know, for, for, for a few decades now. So, so it's just kind of this, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of this like, personal musings if you like that that sort of that take this form of a zine and hopefully they are you know people get something out of it well and i think there is something to be said because you know um a lot of times people with like more traditional modules a lot of times will just enjoy reading them and i think you know there's always been a discourse of some of the say dnd model pathfinder being enjoyable to read versus usable at the table but i think yeah. the idea is that you can just say you know what I'm just going to let my mind go. I'm going to put some stuff down. I'm not going to be worried about, about balance. I'm not going to be worried about this, but I'm going to present the information in a clear style with my vision and thoughts and people can do with it whatever they want, you know, and that's, what's nice about it. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I, I have had people who, who, who've sort of said that, you know, like, I mean, there's one kind of point crawl in, in, in the first issue of Aquilus, and a lot of people have said, you know, it's kind of disjointed, um, you know, and, and I, I, I'd agree with that comment. But I think that that's kind of what it is. It's just really meant to be like, it's just meant to be a bunch of sort of ideas, really. And, um, and you know, and, and I'm sort of okay with that, because that's just one project I've got going on at the moment and that's just kind of what it is so I'm I sort of uh you know I I, I sort of take those you know comments on board but at, at the same time I'm sort of really happy to kind of just run with it as well yeah and the other thing I think what's, what's striking is obviously besides uh we'll talk about the layout uh, later because uh that's also as <laughs> uh, is the 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 choice of art so Obviously, you went through for Aquilus, um, I think probably most, if not uh, all of the art is public domain artwork. That's right. That's right. But, but you didn't scour to find a picture of a, of a unicorn or scour the things to find a picture of a goblin. Uh, you chose uh, some classical uh, works and cropped them many ways in a way that not as only maybe aesthetic, but maybe even kind of creating a sense of unease. Well, what I, yeah, that's exactly right. So, so w- what I did is um, I think Aquilus is really influenced by <clears throat> a, a lot of kind of older paintings, um, you know, in art history, it's influenced by things like, you know, <clears throat> you know, symbolist paintings, sort of mythical paintings, religious paintings, which, you know, which, which to me really sort of capture a sensibility of what I'm trying to sort of, uh, you know, what I'm trying to evoke. So what I do is I, I actually spend a lot of time looking for kind of public domain works. I mean, there's tons of sites. I mean, you know, it's, you know, and, and, and what's kind of interesting is that a lot of museums now have actually put a lot of things into the public domain. Um, and so what I do is, is I actually look for these works and, and, and sometimes, you know, the works themselves actually spark off the idea. So sometimes I'll actually have an image and I think, oh, you know, I'll come up with an idea for that kind of image, which, you know, which, 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 which sort of might not relate directly, but it's just an image that, you know, might spark, say, you know, the basis of something. And I think... I think what's you know you know what the hardest thing to do is with public domain works and and this is why I spend so much time looking through them is it's actually finding one that's of high quality enough to look good in print right are, you know you know because there are a lot of public domain works out there I mean there's just there's kind of I don't know I mean there's just there's countless but but actually finding the right one which is of good enough resolution to look good in print is actually really really hard it just takes well, ages and ages. Well, and especially if you're wanting to crop, if you're if you're wanting to keep the original, you know, the whole picture. But a lot of times, right, if you're wanting to zoom in on a particular feature, that's probably where it also becomes even more limiting. Oh, it's really, really limiting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and the photography has to be top notch, like, you know, it can't be, you know, there can't be flares in the dark areas. I mean, it's so, so it really, really takes a long time. So, so yeah, so, so, so finding all those, you know, you know, finding all those combinations in, you know, when using public domain imagery, especially when you want to print it, uh, which, you know, which is really important to me to have the physical object, 
I mean, that that actually takes a really substantial amount of time. So, so I mean, you know, you, you, I, I could sort of sift through public domain images for hours and hours and come across with like one, you know, and then I actually sort of download that and put it away because I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a rarity to find something, you, you know, you, you know, you know, which is to the standard that I, you know, that, that I'd like to work with. Well, like, but here's why, and, and some of these, I understand why you put in there. They're obviously, well, I say obviously, but, you know, they almost appear to be either some, they're demonstrating something crazy, some sort of madness going on or something from a fairy tale. But you also did some things that are just very straightforward, not at all tied to, like, for instance, for um, um, Aquilus, the, the ver- two at the very end, I'm assuming it's just some sort of noble that had a painting, a portrait done of himself. Yeah, look, I mean, some of them are just kind of filler too. You know, some of them are just kind of really striking images that, you know, that 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 you know that that have a particular kind of sensibility, but but maybe just don't relate any to, to anything in the book because and it could have just been a case, well, I, I just simply didn't find an image for that article that was right, you know, and and I've got a bunch of things here. So I can sort of just stick that in there and that will kind of fill the page, but actually look sort of quite good as well. So 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 I mean. That that sort of does happen. I mean, I think what I'd like to do with Aquilus, which I've done, which I've done for issue three, is I've actually commissioned some original art for that. So um, so I commissioned uh, a couple of artists so far. Um, I, I, I commissioned Stefan Pogue uh, to to do two two pages. I mean, he, he does a lot of work for for Goodman Games for you know, okay. D, you know for DCC and MCC, and I commissioned Andrew Walter to do uh, some original work as well. Um, and, you know, he, he did all the illustrations for Nightland and he's done a lot of work for, you know, Melsonia Arts Council. I mean, he actually did the cover for Troika and, and he's an amazing artist. And, you know, and, 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 and both work in that kind of weird fantasy kind of style. And so I actually have commissioned some work for issue three. So I think issue three is going to be probably like, probably going to be like, say, you know, 40% original and, you know, 60% public domain. Right. And, and, and as I move forward, I'd probably like to, uh, you know, I'd probably like to, um, you know, have all original art commission for Aquilus. And I, I think the reason why I didn't do it in the first place was I, I actually only started um, kind of doing like RPG stuff at the beginning of COVID, you know. And, you know, because I was housebound, basically, um, you know, from, from sort of March 2020, and I, I, I think I, I, I just started using the public domain stuff because it was just easy to do. You know, you know, I, I, I didn't really sort of, you know, I, I knew of a few artists sort of back then, but I didn't really know how to approach them. I didn't really right. know how to contact them. <laughs> and it was just one of those things. It was just easy to do. So, so, so that's how it kind of started. It, it, you know, it sort of meant that I could just basically have this zine without the financial outlay. You know, like I, I didn't actually have to, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing and I, I and it was just a case of, well, I, you know, do, do I really want to go and spend X amount of dollars to commission sort of 12 pages or of art where I basically just don't know what I'm doing, you know? But and I it, will say, but I think though, but I think though that what you were forced to do, it was both, it seems both disjointed, but I would say at least for the color ones, 
I think maybe because of the tones, it seemed also unified. So it kind of, I think, does create a sense of unbalance for the person going through it. Like, but it's not awkward. It seems to fit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that there's a thread that runs through all the images. It's really hard to define what that is. But, 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 you know, but it's not just, you know, but I just didn't, you know, it, I, I don't think my image selection is just random. Like, I didn't just randomly select like you, you said before, like a really high high res image of a, of a unicorn done in a really contemporary style, and then you know a, another image of something else. I mean, you know, you know the images have to appeal to me on some kind of like emotional, psychological level in the first place for, for me to kind of download them from these public domain sites. So, so, so I think it's. I mean, I mean, I think there is a thread, but it's it's really hard to define what it is. You know, and 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 sometimes I kind of think of the thread as being like, you know, you actually mentioned this kind of portrait of an aristocrat, I think, just before. I mean, I kind of think, well, you know, maybe he's like one of the NPCs in Aquilas, you know, maybe he's just like a character or something like that, or a patron in Aquilas. And so, 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 uh, I mean, for me, there's some kind of unity, but it's really hard to define in words what that unity is. It's, it, you know, it's probably just like a tone or something that that, that kind of runs through everything. For you know, for me to, for you know, for me to want to use the image in the first place. Well, the other one that struck struck me the the most, and still, and I think was in the middle of the second one was, it shows a traveler. The picture is basically, I'd say, almost is maybe solar plexus down. It's all you're seeing, and you're seeing um, what looks like some sort of weird boot with his toes sticking out. Um, and oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I know that image. Yeah, that's I can't, a great image. Yeah, that I don't even I don't understand why it works. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what that image is, and I'll, I'll tell you the story behind that image is that um, that's actually a painting of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and 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 I actually just didn't want to use the entire image because then it just sort of brings something into the zine that that I don't really want to have in there. Like I don't really want, you know. I mean, I mean, it's a magnificent painting. I can't actually remember who painted the picture. It's kind of like a 17th or 18th century painting. I mean, it's just kind of gorgeous. But I didn't actually want to put a picture of Christ holding a staff with a holy symbol because people would immediately recognize it as being a picture of Christ. So, 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 I mean, that's, that's the reason why I cropped that, to be honest, because it was of just stunning resolution. It was just going to look great in print. I sort of modified the colors somewhat in Photoshop and, and sort of did some sort of tricky things to sort of get the resolution to be even kind of, you know, to, to get the image to sort of be, you know, a bit more punchy, but, but, but that's the reason why that image is cropped. I mean, it, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary, really, but 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 that's why that's why I just put the feet in because I, I I love the colors, but I just didn't want to have a picture of Christ because people would immediately identify it as as being that, and it just would bring something into the zine that I I just don't really want to have there. Well, I think it 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 does two things for me. Is one is, um, I never would have cropped that way, never ever ever. But I'm looking at it, it's like that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I, I just tend to go with my instincts when when I use these public domain images, and 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 it's really just a case of, um, yeah, look, it, you know, I, 
I was just playing around with how to crop it. And I thought, well, that, that's kind of weird. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just a character's <laughs> feet. You know? So, so I, so, you know, so I just put it in there because, you know, it, you know, it, it, it does create kind of a sense of mystery, you know, and, and, and it can be sort of a bit jarring as well, but that kind of adds to, you know, I think that that to me just kind of adds to the content, you know? It, it does. And I think the other thing too, and this is something I've, never really i i understood on a conscious level but never could actually um be successful at it is at least for photography uh, when i was in it it almost seems like cropping always improved a picture and almost never hurt it i'm being generic or just being kind of flippant here but it just seems like uh we're afraid of tight crops or odd crops and when you see something done like this, it just goes to show that there's a lot more in an image than what you're seeing when you see the whole thing. Yeah, there absolutely is. And I think what I think what sort of uh, cropping does, especially when you're using things like, say, public domain images, you know, where, where you might actually have a lot to play with, it just cre creates particular pictorial tensions. And, and, and that can really sort of just amplify the image a lot. So I, I actually tend to do that with a lot of the images. I mean, there, there are a lot of crops, especially when I'm using things like color paintings. And, and, and that, that aspect of it is, is something that's really important to me, just getting, you know, you know, just getting the right crop to kind of maximize some kind of effect, you know? And um, so, so, so what I tend to do is when I, when I, you know, download the images and, you know, and, and if the resolutions, you know, what I want, I actually then spend quite a bit of time experimenting with tons of crops, you know, and, right. or, you know, or, or, or putting the image in the page layout and sort of just moving it around and just sitting with it for a while until I actually get, you know, uh, what I think will have the kind of effect that I'm sort of searching for. Yeah, and I appreciate people doing that. I just, I, I know myself, I tend to be much more uh, haphazard about my approach. But, you know, when you see, you know, I think the choices, especially the, uh, the picture of Christ and also the picture of the noble, it just goes to show uh, how a person who takes their time and properly selects images and creates, especially, uh, you know, with black and white, it, it sort of solves that. But, you know, with the colors, it's like, you you kind of I don't want to say we're forced into a palette, but you know you were able to uh, create a, a a palette to kind of thread the whole book together. Yeah, and it's just um and 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 what's enjoyable about using you know images like that is it, it it's a, it's another kind of decision making process. You know, it's another sort of creative process of the zine. I mean, it's obviously very different when you commission art because commission commissioning art is 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 kind of very specific. You know, like you usually when you know, I mean, I've commissioned quite a bit of art now. Uh, you know, from, from different people. And that's very specific, you know, because you're actually giving the artist, you know, the, the reproduction size and, and you know, and I, I don't think artists would appreciate being cropped, you know, like, like, I mean, if, if, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, if I commissioned right. a work and, and, and then kind of said, well, I'll just zoom into this kind of part of it and just, and, and just, and just use, you know, the legs instead of, you know, the body that they've drawn. I mean, it's not really how sort of, uh, no commissioning goes so, so 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 i think when you're actually playing with images that kind of technically like no one really owns i suppose um which is why they're public domain 
there's just a bit more latitude there to, to sort of do creative stuff with it, you know. So, so that you know, but 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 again, too, I I, I think the sort of public domain stuff, I I I think, um, you know, I I'd, I'd probably look you know look to kind of phasing that out as as Aquila sort of moves forward, and 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 hopefully it'll sort of get to you know get to a stage where it'll just be all original art and and you know and i might even start um i mean i'm even even thinking about possibly you know commissioning sort of uh content for it as well in terms of writing um you know from different people where you know and 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 you know and maybe make it into this kind of weird fantasy kind of osr scene like i i i don't know i mean they take you know each issue takes so long to do that 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 um i'm just taking it one step at a time but 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 i think the art thing is something that you know i would look forward to, to to actually having just all original art by by a number of artists in each issue i mean it would be are, really- are you trying to do that more for i guess just not say more but is one reason for doing it is to try and save time i mean because the, the amount of time you're taking to scour for public domain is that part of it not really it's just i i actually really enjoy working with artists um i mean my my sort of career in australia was was actually working with artists that, that that's what i did for a job um so i actually just really like the interactive process and I, I i really like what kind of artists bring to the table um i i just really like how uh i i, I just really like how um i mean an example is when i worked with you know when i worked with andrew walter on nightland i mean I gave him some sort of briefs of what I wanted and, you know, what he came back with just absolutely surpassed my expectations on every level. And I actually just enjoy that kind of process. I, I, I think, you know, I, it's, it's, it's not really time. It's just really, I, I actually just enjoy that sort of process of working, you know, collaboratively with an artist where, 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 you know, you know, you know, what they do ultimately amplifies what you're doing. So, so it's really just, um, it's really more about that, actually. It's it's just really just another part of the process. You know, I, I've never commissioned writers before, so I'm not really sure how that would kind of work. Um, and it's something that I'm interested in sort of trying. Um, I mean, you know, but 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 again, too, it's just I'm just trying to take it one step at a time. So 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 what I might do for the fourth issue is I I may actually commission say you know a couple of people to to come up with something. And just see how the writing process works, you know, with 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 hiring someone who's you know external. So, but but you know, but the art thing is just is is just is just a facet that I really really enjoy actually because I I actually love looking at um I actually love RPG art and I I love a specific kind of RPG uh, sort of role playing game art like I you know I love stuff that's kind of hand drawn I love line art. You know, um, I love kind of weird, you know, weird kind of weird fantasy kind of art. So it's it, it it's really just uh, exploring that really, you know, you know, with artists. Well, I guess and I, for myself, I was uh, my current project I've been working on. I I pulled up a generic map um, from a, a Dyson Logos map to kind of work from. It wasn't exactly what I wanted, uh, but it kind of was helped me partway through and then um and then i knew i just need to get somebody to actually do a map so i end up hiring somebody to to create a map 
And then once they created the map, uh, that provided more inspiration. It, it gave me something more solid, but it also, I ended up writing more content uh, based on the extra stuff they put in that map. So I guess with the art um, as well, do you find that when you get art back, do you go back and uh, does it cause you to do any rewrites? Um, it did with Andrew Walter because you know, he actually came up with some fantastic ideas, which he included in the work, which I didn't think of. So then I took it, then I actually took a cue from that and kind of modified, modified the writing to, to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of echo the image. So, so that's a definite yes. And that's just something I'm, you know, that's another reason why I enjoy working with artists as well, because, um, you know, because, I sort of tend to give the artist fairly open sort of latitude in terms of what they come up with. And I'm, I'm, I'm really prepared to modify what, what I've written to, to then take, you know, take, you know, you know, maybe inspiration or ideas from, you know, what they've done. So, so that's, that, that, yeah, that's something that that's of enormous interest as well. Yeah. I mean, the idea that, you know, art inspires art, you know, if we want to call writing art, um, it just, I just, to me, that's been a subject I find always interesting, maybe even slightly emotional, just thinking about just how motivating, you know, something can be to cause other people to do things. And those people motivate and inspire people to do things as well. And sometimes those things come back, you know, full circle too, and maybe create something to inspire the person that originally started, you know, the, the whole thing as well. Um, yeah. Well, 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 I mean, you know, I think when you're writing and, you know, when, when you commission art, I mean, to me, there's a really nice feedback loop there. You know, there, there, there's just, uh, you know, there's this kind of circular thing that happens and, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on a sequel to, to night, Nightland uh, now. And, you know, and, 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 and there are some ideas in there which, 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 which have just been directly influenced by the art, you know, which, which I sort of didn't really think of before. So, so to me, it's just, uh, you know, to me, it's just really a case of, like you said, of just, you know, art, art can definitely inspire more art. And that's just, you know, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons going forward that I'd, I'd, I'd like to have all original art for, you know, for the zines. Well, you know, and it, it's also <laughs> good for artists too, obviously. Um, the other thing I noticed when I did the best theory for uh, uh, during the Adlands, uh, Chema, who, you know, his, I live in a very rural area and spent a lot of my time outdoors and had certain experiences. I wrote up these creatures kind of based on, you know, creatures I also knew. Um, then he, his art, when it came back, didn't necessarily reflect what I was thinking it was. And it was great and wild. And I thought, you know, that's a lot of fun. And also was thinking too, it's like, even with art, you know, with a bestiary it, in, in times past, um, like illustrators would illustrate uh, creatures from Africa without having seen them. They just go by the description. And I just thought, you know, you know, the bestiary, the description or the picture could both be, or either could be unreliable narratives. You know what I mean? It, it's kind of mm -hmm. interesting if you start looking at even incongruities between the art and the description, it's like, you know, there, there could even you know, be even taken from that where it's, it's just, we're all in, uh, fallible in our, in our interpretations, both as a writer, 
also both as a you know, an illustrator. And I thought, you know, it, it's kind of a neat angle to take or could take uh, with some of the stuff. Yeah, definitely. And 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 I think too with RPGs, I mean, I just think that art is really critical in 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 games um, or or in sort of you know scenes or whatever. And I I think it's just a you know I think it's a case where you know, you know, like you said, there's content and then there's work and there's this kind of, there's this kind of third entity that's kind of created when, when you actually look at the content and, 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 and look at the image. I mean, there's just, you know, there's just something there that's, you know, that, I, you know, that I think is kind of indispensable for what creates, I suppose, um, you know, an atmosphere for, for, you know, for games. And I mean, for me, you know, when, when I got into uh, gaming, when I was very young, I was probably about 11 or 12, you know, when I was growing up in Australia. I mean, what, what, what really attracted me to RPGs in the first place was the art. You know, it was just, you know, it was like, you know, the covers, you know, the covers of, I think the cover of the sort of basic box set with the Aero Lotus cover. And, and... Yeah, you're right. There, I mean, that is the first thing you see, and that's that's the hook into the brain, really. Yeah, and that's kind of the segue, you know. And I think, um, you know, and I think, you know, I think art's just something that, um, you know, I mean, a cover for an RPG is really important, right? Like a cover for a zine is really important. And what what really hooks you in is it it is the artwork. Well, it's like um, there's a crazy podcast called uh, Punch Up the Jam, where they'll take a song and they'll kind of deconstruct it and they'll and they'll talk about try to make sense of the lyrics. It's tend to be humorous, but there's a song called uh, Drops of Jupiter by This Train. And after listening to it, because they have uh, sometimes a guy would buy these tracks where you could you could. Um, uh, as multi-tracks you can start dropping things out so you can just hear the vocals and what makes if you listen to various covers which i enjoy listening to covers of, of songs and they're usually lacking and one thing they mention is there is a um there's an orchestra playing there's string there's stringed instruments playing behind the voice at key moments in drops of jupiter and if you drop that if you drop that those strings out it's not that great i mean so it's a, still a good song but it's not a great song. Right, and I think right. art, and art's kind of like that. I mean, there's something you hear it, and when it sinks, it's like it just feels. Uh, it just it gives a rightness. It it, it it's trans it, it transports when it's tied to the text as well. I think you kind of had to have both. But when they're when they're in sync, you got the strings and you got the rock band, and you marry them together perfectly. It's it's just a it's a wonderful experience. Oh well, I, I completely agree, and there's kind of a magic there, you know. And 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 I think, uh, you know, I think gamers kind of know what that magic is, you know, where there's there's a kind of perfect, you know, there's a kind of synergy there, you know, be, you know, between the text and, um, you know, the imagery, and, you know, that that you know that's something that appeals to me enormously about um about games, you know, I I sort of find the art and you know the imagery to be sort of kind of crucial you know like um you know like oh yeah and especially crucial to the um to the gm as well i mean it's it's definitely meant to be inspiring yeah and i think it's kind of meant to sort of you know trigger you know you know meant to sort of trigger 
uh, a GM's imagination and, you know, it's meant to be evocative and, you know, and I think it's just, you know, it's just a, I think it's just been a really crucial aspect of games now for kind of almost, uh, you know, 50 years, you know, 40, 50 years. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, going back to in a way you can kind of even describe, you know, modes of play. Like I, you could probably just show a picture uh, and to represent the, we'll just say the style of D and D like to play. Like for instance, for me, some people, the Capulpa, um, the Larry Elmore uh, picture say, this is a and I want. Me, the D and D I want's Earl Otis. You know, for you, it may be, you know, a surreal painting. It's just, it, it, it definitely, I think, identifies the direction and tone in a way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, if you look at things like 5e, you know, um, if you look at that kind of that kind of artwork that, you know, that's not, I mean, that's that's a particular kind of fantasy, you know, and um, and, and and I agree that, you know, Larry Olmel very particular. I mean, the stuff that I really, really like is 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 things like I mean, I really love the artwork in the first monster manual, um, you know, by, by TSR. I mean, I, I, I actually love that kind of, I actually love that kind of work, which, which, which almost looks kind of slightly amateurish, you know, which, which almost looks like an artist that really loves what they're doing and they're pushing their abilities to the very, you know, to, 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 to their very limits, you know, but it's not quite sort of right. You know, there's just something kind of, I wouldn't say wrong about it, but 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 it's not kind of professional, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and, and there seems to be a, a wide variation in the uh, in the art too. You're right, because some of them really do, and others don't. And I'm thinking, I can't remember. Was it, it wasn't the succubus in the Monster Man, but was it in the Dungeon Master's Guide? Right, almost right. almost had like a classical vibe to it. Where others just look like, yeah, I'm just sketching stuff out or, or drawing a cartoon, like in the Dungeon Master's Guide. It's just, um, but you're right. It, there's something magical about it, and I don't think anything's been able to replicate it. I don't know if it's just from nostalgia, from our point of view, or if if it's the design aesthetic that has pretty much gone away with the whatever typesetting they were doing back in the '70s. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I think the typesetting back in the '70s. I mean, from what I've read, you know, the typesetting was actually done at the printers. You know, um, you know, the printers actually did the typesetting back then. You know, you, yeah. you would actually take in the manuscript and that, that actually all typeset. I, I, I do think that TSR had one of the first word processors. I, I think they had, you know, the, they bought a, a word processor where they did their own typesetting, I think, in the early 80s. And from what I've read, it's really, really expensive. But but um, just on, you know, just on another thing, you know, just about, you know, what what's really amazing about that kind of art is, 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 I was at Gary Con in 2019, and I went to uh, I went to this fantastic sort of artist panel where there there were you know there were about I think there were about eight artists who were all early TSR artists, you know, including Errol Otis and I think Larry Elmore was on the panel. I think Darlene was on the panel. There was a bunch of other people who, whose names slipped my mind. But but what was really amazing about that is is that a lot of those artists were were kind of like. 18 to 20 when they were doing all that kind of stuff and and you know and that kind of just really blew my mind you yes. know I mean it really really blew my mind and and there were, you know you know there was one artist on the panel whose name I can't recall and he was just someone that kind of lived in Lake Geneva you know and, and he still lives in Lake Geneva now 
And, you know, he'd, he'd kind of just, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not sure how he came across TSR, but he was like literally like 18 when he was doing some of that work, you know. And 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 I think to, to what you mentioned before about sort of that, you know, that kind of work, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's what a lot of sort of people that buy, um, you know, RPGs, you know, especially the ones that dominate in orders of magnitude, the other, you know, you know, you know, other kinds of say RPGs, like you know, say Wizards of the Coast, for example. Like, I, I just don't know what the audience for that kind of work is is like at the moment. You know, I, th I think it's definitely there in this kind of OSR realm, but I just kind of think that in 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 this kind of wider realm, you know, this you know this you know this much kind of wider market for. I just think. I just don't think that there's much of an audience for that kind of work. I mean, to, to me, I love it. And I, I actually love looking at it. I love reading the history behind it. I love, you know, I, you know, I just, I just love everything about it, but, 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 but I just think a lot of sort of gamers have maybe outgrown that kind of stuff. I mean, people like me still really like it because I grew up with that, you know, so there's a kind of sense of nostalgia there for it. But, but, you know, I just think that um, I'm not sure what this, what, you know, I'm just not sure what this kind of artwork would look like, say, to a 24-year-old gamer, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And you're right. I mean, it's right. The, the budget's being spent on art, the expectations, the layout. And I think that's definitely demonstrated the, I think that's the zine um, community has demonstrated that there, there may not be a large, like a, a, as large of an audience, but there are still enough people interested in it. But you're right. Uh, it's it's not gonna if you're going to sell something on DMs Guild, you're gonna have to make sure your trade dress is maybe not exactly as D and D, uh, but five E, but or TSRs or Wizard of Coast, whatever they're called. But you're going to want to, but you you're going to have to produce something that looks very similar in order for people to be willing to buy it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've looked at DMs Guild. I mean, not not to publish anything there, but just out of interest, and I was really just amazed. I mean, you can actually get things. I mean, you can actually download so much stuff for free. You can download page backgrounds that have this kind of distress look. You know, you can download borders. You can download sort of these really slick images of monsters and sort of you know, player characters and all this classes and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I was really sort of amazed at how kind of generic it all felt, <laughs> you know, that, 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 you know, that you're right. There is a particular kind of look. So if you want to kind of get the eyeballs onto your product, I mean, you have to kind of be, you know, you have to, you have to sort of make, you know, I suppose the things have to have a, a sort of visual kind of sensibility, you know, that, 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 that people that, uh, you know, to attract people that already play that kind of thing. But look, I think the same can be said for, say, OSR zines, for example. I mean, they have a particular kind of, you know, feel and look to them. And I think that sort of feel is like, I mean, I think a lot of zines have that feel of like the auteur, right? Where where it's one person doing everything, right? Yeah. Or it's one, one person doing a lot of things. And, and I just kind of think that, say, if you wanted to appeal to, say, I mean, if you were doing, you know, if you called what you were doing, say, OSR zines, and you made a zine that looked like something that came from Wizards of the Coast, you know, that was small, that was printed on glossy paper, that had a, you know, a digitally painted cover, I don't think it would appeal to, say, the, you know, I, I don't think it would appeal to OSR audiences at all. 
right? No, right. I think, I think the difference is for people buying 5e, this not be disparaging at all. And I'm just going to make broad no, 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 not at all. But I think they're looking for something similar. People that are interested in zines are looking for things that are different. I'd sort of agree with that. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And 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 that and that's where I think um, you know, you know, I think I I think zines have I think zines in in the OSR especially have become a kind of a kind of art form in in, in their own right. And I just kind of say that because every kind of zine you look at is, you know, is completely different. You know, it's you know, you know, it is approached from from a different angle in terms of just you know, visually, in terms of layout, in terms of the look, whereas you know, whereas you know, the Watsy stuff, especially on something like DM's Guild, it it is it is kind of you know, you know, a lot of that stuff is just indistinguishable from from every other product, you know, and and that's not to say bad things about it because like good luck to their success, but it's just you know, but but, but I suppose it's just what audiences are looking for. Well, and I think the thing is, right, and, and people, and I think the, the positive thing, at least is probably as far as the, um, this, what was it called, was it the designer guide or whatever for, for D&D, there's a certain, even though I think their content that, that they put out for their modules is um, disjointed and a mess, but I think they, they do want things done in a particular order. And I think people who go to the books, uh, Every book is, as far as I think their 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 main books and their adventures. There's there's an organization that's similar, and you can go to any and if any people follow that same guide, any book that you look through will you can follow along the same way, for good or for ill. Where you get other stuff like like Morkborg or or Mothership or you know it could be uh, Aquilus. They're all they all present information in different ways. Yeah, and 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 I think that that's kind of where this idea of you know the zine as an art form sort of comes in. It's just you know it, you know it's all a very sort of personal approach, and I think people want to take a personal approach, you know, and um, and I and I think that's kind of the key thing where you know that you know I think zines in the OSI have you know have become an artistic expression now, like um, like I mean you know. You mentioned Mork Borg. I mean, you know, that's an amazing kind of design, right? I mean, I mean, that's you know, the the layout in that is just is just really incredible. But it's not an approach I would take. But I see sort of people taking that approach a lot now, especially when they make stuff for Mork Borg. You know, that you know that you know, I actually have a lot of third party Mork Borg stuff, and it's and it's really amazing how many designers sort of take that sort of approach you know where, where they actually you know use like 100 typefaces they have the sort of you know the hot pinks and the, and, and the acidic yellows or you know all over their books and they have all that sort of you know you know the wobbly text it's all at kind of different angles and all this kind of stuff and I kind of think well you know it it, it, it it's like I mean that's created a, a kind of a, a particular kind of style but but I kind of think well you know you, you could probably you know you know approach that without it looking like that you know yeah i you're right because i think you know i think there's a couple of things you know it'd be interesting to know how we'll look back 10 years you know to that aesthetic but i think the other thing is those people i do not own more for the the book but uh but i think you know they're breaking rules because they know how to break rules 
the problem is people who are not on the cutting edge of layout design, uh, you start breaking rules, uh, it may not turn out like you think. You may think it looks kind of like it. You think you're doing and things are disjointed. But there's a logic behind people that are experts laying that stuff out and then people who aren't. And I think it's you can run into trouble trying to ape somebody that you really may not have quite the chops to do. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right about that. But but still, I'm yeah. I, I'm sort of glad it's all kind of happening because it, it, it kind of feels... Uh, you know, like I think the scene just feels very kind of fruitful at the moment, you know, it feels very abundant. I mean, there's just tons and tons of stuff. And I right. I really think that there's just, you know, an incredible amount of creativity. So I, I, I sort of welcome it all, to be honest. Oh, I you know, agree. And I think and people like, like say Phil Reed, he's not aping them uh, per se, but he's saying, you know what, this is the sensibility. This is my take on the sensibility. You know, and I'm not, you know, the stuff he's doing, there's, there's a, I won't say conservative, but he's so very conservative in some approaches, but also uh, being very experimental in others without yeah. just being, I'm just going to do a bunch of typefaces and I'm going to change the sizes, you know, randomly. If you, that's, that's the type of stuff I'm thinking, you better make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, 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 I mean, so, something like that takes an incredible amount of time. And I think with Phil Reid, I mean, I mean, he's definitely got the kind of skill set for, for say the layout, but, he he makes so much content, you know. I mean, he produces so much stuff, which is kind of incredible. That 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 you know that you know. I mean, I found it from my experience of say doing Aquilas too, uh, which is you know a lot more, and and especially Nightland, which is a lot more detailed in the layout and the typography. I mean, I'm spending sort of you know three times as much, you know, three times more uh, on on the actual layout than the writing. You know, because you can endlessly detail this kind of stuff. So, so, so I think to have, you know, when you said like the kind of, you know, you have to have the chops, you know, to to, to kind of do do this stuff. I mean, when you start getting into the granularity of layout programs, you know, and you sort of get really deep into sort of how to how to how to you know how to get nuance and how to tweak things and um, how to how to sort of activate a page. I mean, it just takes an incredibly long time, right? So, so, so for someone like Phil Reed. I mean, because he's he's kind of a one-person show, kind of doing everything, you know, much to his credit, you know. It's just a case of uh, productivity, you know. Like, um, I mean, I'm sure he could sort of start including a lot of bells and whistles in, 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 in his design if he wanted to, but that would probably take away from the writing time. Yeah, and he stated he wanted his to be readable by himself. So he kind of was also looking at, too, as far as utility. You know, where some of the stuff you start losing utility if you're going too far. And and that's fine. I guess that's what you're wanting. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I mean, that's what I feel about Mork Borg. It's just, you know, you know, to me, the layouts are really fantastic. And, you know, there, there's so many kind of great ideas in, you know, in, in, in the community that produces stuff for, you know, which, which, which tends to emulate sort of the main sort of core book or, or the main designers are kind of, uh, you know, sort of aesthetic. But but you know the thing about Mork Borg and and all those kind of third party stuff produced for it is it it's really hard to work out kind of uh, what the information is on a page and how to use it you know because it's kind of because kind of a cacophony you know it's it's so kind of you know so, some of it's so kind of maximalist in its design it's it's just really hard to to kind of read it you know right 
Right. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's really like, it's, you know, it, it, it's really difficult to kind of like, I have a bunch of stuff and it's really hard to work out how to run an adventure in Mork Borg. <laughs> like it's really, really difficult. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not something you can kind of do on the fly, you know? Right. It's, it's, it's a different, I guess the opposite in the spectrum is, is uh, old school essentials. Well, that's right. I mean, that's just something like, you know, you could you could probably get any of those sort of official modules and you could sort of run them just kind of immediately, you know, or, or actually just read them, say, you know, the night before just to familiarize yourself with it. And the next day you're kind of ready. But I sort of feel that, you know, the Mork Borg aesthetic um, is just very different, you know, and, 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 and the, you know, the, you know, the kind of information design around that is 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 kind of um i think it's just very very complicated i mean i think mothership um i mean if you look at mothership for example i mean i think that that has you know the community around mothership who produces third-party material for that i think they probably have a much better sense of information design than the more core community like like mothership is is very sort of clear you know, yeah, and 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 you know the mothership stuff. Even though it has like, even though the design is really sort of considered, and you know, uh, you know the layout's really considered. I mean, mothership is kind of like, a, you know, a lot of the stuff that's written for that is is kind of written like a like an instruction manual. Like it's very clear, it's very minimal. You know, um, you know, it's it, it, you know, you know, you know, it's almost like sort of a an instruction document, you know? So, so I think that those adventures are kind of more, just have a bit easier utility, but you know, that's, but, but, you know, motherships are, you know, an interesting sort of a uh, sort of product as well, because I mean, that too has spawned off its own kind of look, you know? So, so the people that sort of make stuff for mothership, I mean, you will see that there's kind of a particular design sensibility that they all kind of have. You know? Yes, yes. And I think it's kind of interesting. I'm not really sure how this relates like 10 years or 15 years ago, but it does seem like there are, we are seeing these occasional breakout games that are largely influencing other people in creators in big ways on the independent scene. scene. So I don't know if we, I've, I mean, one being powered by the apocalypse, probably being the biggest, but we're still seeing things coming up and then creating, you know, uh, changes uh, in the in the I don't say in the in RPG uh, scene, but there are definitely large influencers that are still coming up and influencing future designs. Yeah, and I think I, I think to me, sort of, you know, you know, you know, the two are the ones that we've just mentioned. I think Morkborg and Mothership are, are kind of the ones at the top of the list right now. You know, in terms of in terms of these kinds of breakthrough games that 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 have really spawned a big following. I mean, I think Morkborg has something like seven hundred third party products now. You know, are you we, serious? Yeah, yeah, it, it has seven, it has about seven hundred. But you know, you know, but they range from sort of one and two page pamphlet games that you find on itch.io to things that are you know more obviously more substantial. So you know, there's you know, there's real variance in what's out there. But 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 you know, but Mothership too. I mean, I mean, look at look at how well the Kickstarter did. Oh yeah, right, right, and 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 
look at how well uh, that recent sort of uh, that recent book did, Hull Breach, you know, that's just like a compilation book of various sort of third-party mothership authors all compiled into this 200-page book, and all the Kickstarters do well. And I think what, you know, I think what Mothership did incredibly well is that what, when you kind of think about it, right, in, in the history of sort of sci-fi, in, sorry, in the history of role-playing games, I mean, you know, there's never really been a, a, a breakout sort of sci-fi game you know, like, but, you know, I mean, you could sort of say Traveller is, it, you know, it is like the sci-fi game. But but I think what sort of Mothership captured was D&D in space, right? You know, they, they, they kind of captured like uh, dungeons in space, basically, which, you know, which Traveller didn't really sort of quite do. I mean, Traveller is, is a very particular kind of sci-fi game. And I think, you know, there was obviously a big opening for, you know, for 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 you know for the themes that come up in mothership you know we, you know which you know which which the OSR didn't kind of do before you know and 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 that was kind of such an obvious kind of niche for you know for such a long long time uh Where- especially especially in this kind of rules minimal kind of style that that you know you know the resonance that it's had is is just so deep at the moment i mean you know if you look at the third party stuff products on uh, you know that come up on Kickstarter for Mothership. I mean, they all do tremendously well, and 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 there's obviously like a real hunger for you know for that kind of genre. Well, I think what they've done, and I, I shouldn't speak because I haven't read a whole lot, and I was I thought about getting Holbridge, but I didn't. But I think what they did is capture um, in a simple way the you know space is a terrible place. Things are a hardship. I think they captured hardship and and also presented horror, space horror, in a better way than any other game has. Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and they also have, you know, like these key mechanics, you know, in 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 the game that sort of that that that, that kind of set the tone. You know, they have that kind of I'm not I'm not too familiar with the rules, but they have the kind of you know panic mechanic and stuff like that. That 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 you know that i mean i mean i mean it's really hard for example to i mean it's always been really difficult i think for say uh like if you look at the bx rules right to translate them into a sci-fi you know to translate them into say science fiction like it kind of just doesn't make sense but i think what but i think what mothership did is that they you know you know they they definitely captured what you mentioned, but they also have, you know, these really sort of clever mechanics that kind of amplify that as well. Yeah, and it's probably true. Um, I do have the PDF. I kind of flipped through it, but I was actually looking at getting Hole Breach uh, really for Coriolis because Coriolis on the 10 does talk about, it, there is a, it's supposed to be like a, a horror level that could be even cosmic level if you want, or as you, you dial up and down, but it doesn't really present a very good way of presenting these types of situations and and doing these types of adventures sure you can say oh there's a there's these monoliths but nobody really has done a good job explaining or have an adventure going through a monolith and experiencing the like an alien movie i mean that kind of feel you know where where there's tension uh at least as far as uh i would say the on the horror side of things that's where i think they've tapped in very well other games maybe kind of talk about it but never provided any clear examples 
or tools to really effectively do it in one's home game. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, and I think what's kind of interesting too about mothership is, is that um, I, I listened to a podcast interview with, with one, one of the writers, one of the creators behind mothership, um, which is, uh, you know, Sean McCoy. And, um, and he said something really interesting. He sort of said that one of the, you know, you know, one of the prime sort of objectives with uh, one of the key areas, you know, you know, for mothership was actually building a community around the game. He said that that's the most important thing. So I think when you actually have, like, I'm not familiar with Coriolis. Is that a free league publishing game? It is. It is right, right. I think I, I think I've seen it around. I'm not really familiar with it, but but I think that what what kind of uh, I think what what's kind of interesting about sort of these really successful sort of games now that that you know that uh, say with Mothership is is that you know there are so many kind of you know there's such a kind of deep community around Mothership that that I think a lot of people are bringing different things to the game as well, and so I I think that you know that's you know that 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 you know that that's another thing where you know mothership touches upon this you know the alien influence and the sort of you know the um event horizon influence and all this kind of thing but 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 you know you know but i think that you know the third party stuff is 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 really critical in that too and i think you know i think people have brought you know all kinds of ideas that have sort of taken that sort of core sort of tenet and kind of really expanded it out yeah, like I got the, I think it's called Pound of Flesh, which is about a space station. Oh, that's great. That's really terrific. Yeah, I just, the problem is, is uh, it, it, the presentation is, is fun to look at, but it's going to take, it take, <laughs> it take me quite a bit of time to actually parse through the whole thing. But, but to me, that's a good example of a very gritty feel. I mean, without having to necessarily be horror, but it does feel like it, things aren't polished and clean. Things are just ugly and nasty and it's living in space is a hard place. And I think they, they do a good job in that, but you're right. They also have even Joel Hines's uh, desert moon of Karth, I, which I want to run sometime. Kind yeah, of takes that's, to another that's really great. That's really terrific. But he takes it in a different direction. It's like a Western in space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like a science fiction Western, you know? <laughs> And, you know, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, I think that, um, you know, that, that was obviously such a gap in the OSR, the sci-fi thing. And, and I think that, you know, what, what's interesting about sci-fi too it, is it does allow for, you know, it does allow for a lot of genre fusion as well. You know, so, so you are seeing things like, you know, like Joel Hines's, you know, the idea of fusing, say, science fiction with, you know, you know, you know with Westerns kind of stuff and bringing, you know, bringing something to that. So, I think it's all kind of great for, for for gaming though. Like it's definitely interesting. I I do think about you know you know what you touched on before. I, I do think about longevity um, of these games because I I sort of took a big hiatus from games and really got back into it in two thousand and thirteen after take, you know taking like twenty years off, and um, and I got into it by sort of DCC right uh, you know which is still around and still kind of thriving. And I, I sort of wonder, you know, because I, I have had these sort of conversations before about, you know, things like Morkborg, where people say, oh, you know, I wonder if it's going to be around in 10 years' time. And, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on, on these kinds of on these kinds of breakthrough success games that seem unbelievably popular at the moment? Well, <clears throat> it could just be that it's just like fashion trends. 
Right. You know, you, you go, you're in the eighties, then you're out of the eighties and you're or maybe in the nineties and you, you look at nineties fashion, you're like, well, that is just gaudy. And then later on it becomes nostalgia. Then all of a sudden it's accepted again. So I, I don't know. I think, I think regardless of if it, if it fully sticks, I think it still influences and in ways that we probably don't always see. So I think even if it, even if Morkborg becomes something that looks tacky five years from now, I think it will still have pushed boundaries uh, that will affect the design of uh, layout uh, in the future in ways that aren't obvious. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, it's definitely, I, you know, I think what these games, I think what, you know, I think what sort of, uh, I think what, you know, games like Morkborg have done, you know, is is they've really upped the ante on layout for sure. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, um, I mean, I mean, I, I have, I have a bunch of stuff. You know, I have a bunch of OSR stuff going back to say, you know, say 2010. You know, to say 2013. You know, 2015, for example, and and kind of like, you know, when when you look at things like presentation and layout, you know, you could probably say that people that were probably doing like the best presentation and layout was was probably Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Right, they, they yeah. were doing sort of they were doing really high quality sort of you know, that, you know actually employing designers and stuff like that, and you know and 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 they had a reputation of being the best sort of books, right? You know, in, in terms of say the physicality, it's, you know, especially in the OSR. But I think you know, but I think something like Mork Borg is now taking it to a different level, right? And 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 when you look at stuff, say on on Kickstarters, you know, w- when you look at Kickstarter stuff that does really well, I mean, most of the things that do really well have great layout. Not oh to yes. say it's, not, not to say it's directly influenced by Mork Borg, but I think Mork Borg is just really upped, saying that you know the the information is you know is really important, the content's really important, but how you actually present that is really important as well, you know, and and the page aesthetic you know is really important as well, and I think that that's what Mork Borg has done, you know, it's really kind of everyone's kind of lifted their game because of it, either directly or indirectly, because they just realized that, you know, that, 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 you know, you, you can have great content, but you kind of need a frame around it. Right. And, and, and there's probably, look, there, there are obviously exceptions to the rule. There's obviously some authors that it really doesn't matter maybe what the presentation's like, because the content, you know, the content is so good, but, you know, but, but, but they're the exceptions to the rule. You know, what, you know, yeah, where I think, yeah, even if, yeah, I still think you can't get away from being successful in having solid layout. I don't, I don't think there's a way of, of doing that. You can still, I think you can still have a market and not have it, but I don't think you can enjoy a large level of success without it. Yeah, yeah, and and also too, you know, I I think what the OSR done, you know, has done as well now is it is that you know that people actually want to own physical products again. They actually want to own the physical book, you know, um, you know, because you know because the people designing it are sort of you know there's considerations of you know they make you know size and paper stock and cover stocks and all this kinds of stuff. So I think I think it's really important now because you know you know because. I think a lot of things, especially in the OSR, are sort of looked on, you know, as artifacts, 
Yeah. You know, and that's a really important thing. Um, I mean, a, an interesting story about layout, and, and this is something that sort of, you know, you know, relates to something about sort of, you know, you know, I talked at the beginning of our conversation about this kind of blockages that I was having about not being able to translate, you know, not being able to put stuff onto a page and just having all these ideas is that, the, you know, the real breakthrough moment for me in terms of like layout was, was, was actually reading an interview with Kevin Crawford, you know, who did Stars Without Number and Worlds Without Number. And I, I think he, he actually said in the interview that he actually designed, he actually writes everything in the layout. Oh really? Yeah, and um, and 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 that's you know that's you know that's what I do as well. I, I I basically make all the sort of typographic decisions first, design the page, and and actually write everything in the layout. So I actually know exactly how much space I have to work with. I know how many words I have to trim. You know, if, if I'm working in one column or two, you know, I'm trying to sort of keep everything to this kind of you know, really usable state where everything, you know, is on a page or in a column or on a two-page spread. And that's, you know, that's what layout has done for my work. And, and, and you know, that, you know, that's why, uh, you know, you know, sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a guess here. <clears throat> I think there's two different branches that do the same thing. So Phil Reed does, he has a layout that he has in mind he puts out first because to him, it's the visual more than just the content. Yeah. I'm going to wager. I'm going to wager that Kevin Crawford is a machine and he he's is a machine. Doing, he's doing it for efficiency. That's all he's doing it for. It has nothing to do yeah. with anything else. And then, okay, I got this many words and I'm going to keep writing until I get that many words. Next page. I'm going to keep writing until I get this many words. <laughs> Like, yeah, well, I mean, again, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a machine. I mean, it's kind of, uh, again, too, I just can't, I simply can't wrap my head around uh, how much that guy makes, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I actually got, I actually got world without number recently. I'm just kind of yes. staggered. I'm just staggered <laughs> at the level of content. And, you know, and he's not just producing that. I mean, he's producing kind of supplements for these books, you know, he's producing kind of, you know, the odd adventure here and then, you know, that's, I mean that's you know Kevin Crawford is a unique case, but having said that, it's um you know th that was you know that was uh you know that was a real breakthrough moment. I mean Gavin Norman writes his books like that as well. Yeah, you know, you know, but he, Kevin you know, Crawford's still, I think, <laughs> I think he just plugs in and just it just tick 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 tick. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, eight I mean, straight. yeah, I mean. <laughs> Again, too, it's just one of these things where I think, God, how, how do you do that? I mean, it's kind of incredible. But, you know, but, 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 you know, it's a, but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, for me, the layout is, it, it, it is, you know, probably the most critical part of my books because it just kind of sets parameters for me. You know, it sets, you know, it sets boundaries and I kind of need boundaries, you know, and, and if the boundaries like, a font size and you know and it's a page size and it's columns or whatever i mean i i, I sort of need as many boundaries as possible because if, if it's too open-ended I, I i just simply can't do anything oh i'm the opposite i just <laughs> yeah i, I mean, just keep I mean, writing I, the point where it's absurd now i'm like yeah in trouble. See, see, see i just can't do that you know it's kind of like if i just have a page you know like if i just have like a google docs open and you know and and and, and i'm told to just write i just simply can't do anything but you know you know but once i have say a layout and i have some type typefaces on there which kind of might influence the writing because you know the the, the typefaces might have a particular kind of flavor 
flavor as well. Like, you know, like Mokbog, there's a particular flavor to the typefaces. You know, these kinds of distressed Gothic typefaces and these like, you know, these kinds of... uh, these kinds of, you know, mono typefaces and things like that creates a particular, you know, palette. I kind of need that because, you know, if I don't have the boundaries, I, I just simply can't do anything. I mean, I simply can't write. And, and that was actually what my problem was when I was just writing like hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes, which were just kind of going on. You know, th- there were no boundaries there, you know. So, so, so w- without the boundaries and the parameters, like it was just very hard to be creative. So these notes are they in electronic format or are they handwritten? No, they're, they're actually electronic. Um, but I've actually started uh, making handwritten notes now, in, in in sort of like just a little kind of notebook. Um, and I actually find that uh, there's something that when you do something by hand, especially you know in the way that I work which is just writing extensive bullet-pointed notes. I mean, it's not long-form writing. It's just kind of, it's bullet points no longer than a tweet, right? And um, I sort of find that I'm, I'm just, I, I feel a bit more productive and creative actually now in the last sort of six months writing notes by hand than I do writing stuff on a computer on, on an iPhone. Well, I think for all of us, because <clears throat> I, I don't consider myself much of a, a writer, I just, I'm just very inefficient, but I think we all have to kind of find whatever, we have to play the, the game that gets our mind to trigger. And it's, sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly those elements are. That's right. And, you know, it took me a long time. It took me like sort of, it took me like sort of six or seven years, you know, or uh, of actually kind of writing gaming ideas before it actually went because I, because I, you know, because, you know, because I sort of, you know, I sort of just had to figure out how to do it. And I just had to put all that time into it beforehand and, you know, to, 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 you know, to, you know, yeah. And it does take a lot, long time and, and, and you really have to figure out what your triggers are in terms of what's going to kind of unlock your creativity and your productivity and what kind of system, you know, you kind of create for yourself to do that, you know? And I, I think that that just takes an, I mean, for me, it just took an incredibly long amount of time. I it was, And it was very frustrating, you know, because I sort of felt like I really wanted to do something, you know, with writing, but it's just very difficult to figure out procedurally how to go about doing it. You know, it's just very difficult, but, you know, in hindsight, I look at it now and I think, well, it's just just the time that it took, you know. Um, but yeah, but there's definitely a yeah, it was it was definitely a long haul. It felt like a long haul for me. I mean, now I feel productive, but 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 you know, but uh, but for years I kind of felt uh, like I was kind of just meandering, you know. Yeah, and, and likewise, and I but I also think too what I've noticed is I've been doing some different things. It's um, I think uh, some things I think are, you know, I need just to generate some seeds and the other ones I just need to kind of just write to figure out. And it seems like with different kinds of projects, there's a different kind of thing I need to do to make it work. But yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and, you know, so, so, you know, sometimes I feel you just need a starting point. Um, I mean, I found that when I, I, I wrote this adventure called, called Xanadu. You oh know, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. Which is, you know, you know, which is, uh, 
Let's just dig that one out. Yes, because I was wanting to talk about that, and, and uh, we got to Ramos. So let's just, uh, yeah, let's talk about Xander, because I'm just going to explain. This is the most 8-bit, uh, or maybe it's fewer bits than that. Maybe it's 4-bit. I don't know. <laughs> it's like artwork style uh, uh, dungeon. Well, I mean, a lot of that stuff was kind of taken from images online, which I modified in Photoshop, you know, and again, to it was just, um, I, I, I wanted to bring like a unique kind of aesthetic to it. Uh, well, no, you did. You did that. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I hadn't kind of seen that before. And, and a lot of it came from sort of, um, from sort of 8-bit sort of uh, Im images of like video game screenshots, which which I took and then sort of like changed, uh, you know, which I really, really modified and put in there. But again, too, it was just a case of, I think I wrote that in the middle of the lockdown, right? Um, I, I think I wrote it in like, I can't remember when I wrote it, it would have been towards the end of 220. But that was when the city was actually just completely shut down. I mean, you know, there wasn't a soul on the street. And it was just, it was just another case of um, I, I just wasn't ready to sort of commission art. I just wanted to get it out. And it just kind of seemed like, and and at the at the time I was researching uh, the history of video games uh, really extensively, like you know, video games of the 70s and the 80s. And I was looking at all these kind of fantasy games that were done for, you know, like home computers, you know, in the 80s. And I, I thought, wow, that's it's kind of like, you know, the visuals are really cool on that, you know. The um, you know, the, you know, you know, it's very sort of classic, you know, you know, you know, it felt like it echoed what was happening in the 70s, right? With with all that kind of TSR artwork. But you know, but but obviously like using like the technology of the time. And it just, it was just, it was just kind of very random. You know, the whole thing was just kind of, it just felt like the right thing to do at the time. I mean, it's something I'd like to kind of follow up, um, you know, and, and and maybe commission an artist who, who works in that kind of, in a pixelated style to do something like that. But th there's kind of an interesting story about Xanadu too, in, in, in that, you know, we were talking about triggers and, and, and how sort of, how creativity happens. And, what was kind of interesting about Xanadu is 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 that I actually downloaded the the I downloaded the the map um, from D Dyson Logos's site, you know, the, you know the cartographer, yeah. and it was one of those kinds of uh, maps that he sort of generously releases for commercial use. You know, I mean, he has a section on his website where he says you can download this for free, and you know, just needs attribution and stuff. So I downloaded the map. And I kind of just had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with it. But then I, I, I sort of worked backwards in that in, in the sense that I just kind of was, I, I just sort of randomly populated all the rooms with, with kind of stuff that I thought was cool. And then it was only at the very end that I sort of was able to work out how to tie it all together. So, and it, it's kind of how um, I, 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 I tend to write like, and another example is I'm working on this sort of adventure now, which is a crash, you know, which, which is a fantasy adventure based on a cr crashed spaceship, right? And you know, it's kind of it, it's kind of like indebted to things like Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. And I commissioned an artist to make a map, to make like a 50-room kind of mega dungeon map of this kind of spaceship. You know, Andrew Walter actually did the map, you know, who, who did the work on Nightland. But I had no idea what I was going to do with the map. You know, it's just it's just the map. So 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 how I like to work is I like to kind of just basically have 
in this case, the parameter and the restrictions of the map, and then kind of just kind of figure out what's going to be in the rooms and then finally figure out what the relationship is between all, all, all the elements in the room. And that's, you know, that's, that's another thing that took me a really long time to work out because when I was trying to write adventures before Xanadu, I was trying to write them sort of uh, kind of forward instead of backwards. You know, I tried to work out what the idea was, what the dungeon would look like, you know, who the antagonists were, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And it just never worked for me. Whereas, um, you know, when I actually have something, you know, that's kind of concrete and say, well, here are the restrictions, I find that it just, it, you know, it makes me a lot more creative in, 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 uh, in having that as opposed to doing it the way I assume most writers would do it. Well, I found, like, going back to Kevin Crawford, I found that generating seeds from, from his various tables is actually huge to actually writing things up. So I, I, I agree that creating some sort of constraint, intellectual uh, creative constraint is actually more liberating and can be more evocative than it can be anything. Yeah, well, I mean, th those tables are absolutely incredible. I mean, they're, they're some of the most kind of interesting random tables that have been written for a long, long time. And I, I think that they've been, you know, really highly influential on a, lot, on a lot of people. I mean, I know that, you know, Ewan Suen is, is really indebted to Kevin Crawford, um, you know, that that setting. And, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And and actually a lot of, you know, a, a lot of the tables that I've written for Aquilus, especially in issue three, are, are really indebted to Kevin Crawford's tables where, you know, you have like three columns of, these really kind of random things and you're supposed to kind of technically like roll in all three columns, you know, D20 on three columns and sort of combine them all. So it kind of means that there's just kind of thousands of possible combinations, but, but you know, but, but, but they are amazing. And these kinds of seeds and the way he does them, you know, I think he's kind of the master. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, he, he, I mean, he's the master. I mean, those those tables and stars without number, and you know, especially are just are just fantastic. Yeah, because I use other dust for in Journey of the Madlands for the enclaves, and um, and giving prompts. But yeah, he if you listen to I have an interview, he just to him he's like he doesn't see that he's doing anything. He's not creating anything that's not already really already out there he doesn't see the i guess he doesn't understand why other people aren't doing this but i don't think he understands other people just are not wired to disseminate the genres and distill it down to what he has in the way that he does yeah yeah and and and, and you know you know he, his tables are really great for you know um, i mean if you're interested in the type of you know in a type of gameplay which is like domain play you know, where you're actually dealing with really big worlds and you're dealing with, um, you know, intrigue and politics and, you know, factions and, you know, all, you know, you know, you know, rich detailed world building. I mean, I mean, his, his, his tables are just kind of, I mean, they're just kind of unsurpassable. I mean, I mean, I mean, to me, they're, they're kind of like the blueprint of how to do that. Well, you know, what, in, ter in terms of random, random generation. Right. But I think what he's done that nobody else has done is he's taken like to say stars without number. He's taken like I don't want to over exaggerate or to exaggerate, but he takes all the tropes, figures out all the tropes, 
and then kind of throws them all on the tables so that when you do roll, you're, you're getting a mixture of different tropes. No, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I like too how there's, you know, and, and in that sense, you know, it kind of makes the setting like a lot more implied than set. Yes. You know, and, um, you know, you know, it makes it, you know, it makes the setting like non-canonical. And, uh, and, and, and that's another thing that I really find, uh, int- I mean, I mean, I'm actually about to start a Worlds Without Numbers sort of campaign, not, I'm, I'm playing in it. So, so I'm, uh, I'm interested in looking forward to how that goes. But, but that's the interesting thing about, um, you know, his, his kind of process, you know, that, that, that it's this kind of implied setting. And, you know, like you said, all the tropes are there. And it's something that, look, I've never played Stars Without Number, but I've sort of uh, really been influenced by a ton of ideas in there. And I think that, you know, his books to me are really useful for that, you know, that they, they, they just, um, you know, and, and, and they've certainly influenced me in, in, in how I think about random tables, for sure. So like the original <clears throat> Traveler, I mean, that's really, you know, I would... I won't say. I guess you know, Traveler had those those generations where they didn't really have it for D and D. You could randomly generate certain things as far as the first edition, but I think Traveler was the one that actually you you would randomly determine locations. But they were, I think, in a lot of ways, left a little too general to really be able to do much with it. Where with uh, Worlds Without Number, just the adding of the tags um, created. Oh, the tags are great. Yeah, that's where that's where the juice is. Yeah, it, it was kind of really interesting about Traveler because, uh, uh, again, too, this is another 2019 GaryCon story. I I I I was uh, kind of lucky enough to go to this kind of small kind of group. You know, it's like six of us, and we spoke with Mark Miller for about two hours, who designed yeah. Traveler. And um, and you know it was in one of the little kind of apartments which are which are which are which are at the um, I, f- I forget the name of the location that Gary Con takes place but but it was in, in one of the apartments there and we, you know we all sat down on the lounge and asked him all these sort of questions and it was kind of really interesting because um, you know when you know he said that when Traveller came out uh, the setting was very kind of implied. You know it, it was you know it was you know it was kind of meant to be a generic sci-fi setting. You know there were the tables in there, and and what was kind of really interesting is is that uh, Mark Miller thought that people didn't want adventures. You know he kind of thought that people were you know would actually write their own adventures, right? You know once they had yeah. the rules, which, which of course they didn't do. But 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 the other thing that sort of um, how how Traveller ended up sort of developing, you know, with all these kinds of extra sort of books that came out aside from the original three in the box, is that people actually wanted canon. You know, they actually wanted uh, they actually wanted a world and they wanted a history to the world. You know, and 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 I actually found that really kind of fascinating. You know that um, that that you know I think Traveller would work. I mean, you know, Traveller would probably work today as an OSR game, right? Because it's just this kind of implied setting with these basic kinds of tools. But back then, it was, you know, I, I found it really fascinating how uh, yeah, just uh, 
how people wanted the canon, they wanted the law, they wanted the history, they wanted the events, and 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 that's what they ended up doing. That's what that's what Mark Miller ended up doing. You know, he ended up sort of right. you know cre- creating the universe and the history and you know the sectors and all this kind of stuff because it was you know because it was just something that you know that you know that was kind of the demand you know from the players. But even TSR, I mean Gary Gygax, he he didn't see any value in adventures or setting i mean really oh, it no. took him a while to all of a sudden it's like then other people were making money off it he's like was it like um judges guild or judges whatever? guild yeah, judges yeah guild. like <laughs> first like yeah go ahead nobody's gonna be buying those yeah, yeah. sure i'll make a little money no problem all of a sudden they're they're making bank and he's uh <laughs> yeah. but, but 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 you know when, when you actually look at i think uh some of the greatest kind of random tables ever made you know like in terms of the history of the hobby I mean, some some of the great the greatest random tables are, are by Judges Guild, right? You know, you know, you know, they're in things like the Wilderlands of High Fantasy series, uh, the City State. I, I I forget what it's called, the City State of the the Emperor, or whatever. I mean, the random tables in that are just absolutely amazing because mm. you know they they are things like say, you know, generating like a location or a village or ruins or something, and this kind of like there's kind of like 20 random tables on one page and it's all like five point font, you know, and it's to kind of generate this kind of location, you know? And I think that uh, they, they, I wouldn't I don't know if they were the, the inventors of that, but, but that's, that's kind of, um, I mean, I mean that, that, that part of the history of the hobby and, and what they did, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, random generation, you know, Right. It's easy for us to look back uh, and, and make some assumptions or wonder why, you know, people were so blind to things. But at the time, nothing was obvious. This was all so new. Yeah. And people kind of didn't know what they were doing and they, and they were uh, and they were just kind of figuring it out, you know. Um, yeah. Speaking of random tables, Xanadu, I see a Jim Ward table here. <laughs> you start at a circle and you roll, uh, you roll a, uh, was it a ten cider? Uh, I think you roll a d10, and that that, that was actually uh, I think that was kind of inspired by I think it was either inspired by something in Gamma World or in Metamorphosis yeah. Alpha. Yeah, it's Jim Ward. Yeah, <laughs> so I yeah. looked at it like, oh my goodness! <laughs> I look yeah, back yeah. and hate those tables. It's like, oh, he presented yeah. in a very beautiful way. And yeah, it, I mean, it might, I, might be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I mean, most of the feedback that I got about that is is that most people hated it. <laughs> i mean my, most people actually absolutely hated that table like I, you know like like all the feedback that i i mean i i personally like did it because you know i just wanted to redesign it in in kind of a nicer way and yeah. i thought that i thought that those tables were kind of just cool like you know in terms of working out how to work out a weapon like instead of just doing an intelligence check or whatever just actually having this kind of weird table that you roll upon and there's possibly a weapon malfunction. But yeah, but, 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 but most of the feedback was just unbelievably negative. Like people absolutely <laughs> hated it. And, you know, and, and what's kind of really interesting is, is that, is that like, I don't think I got one message aside from like a comment or maybe a couple of comments on say the OSR Facebook group. Like most people didn't realize that it was actually kind of taken from, an older game. Oh, really? 
nobody knew that. No, nobody, nobody. Oh, actually, I saw that immediately. It's like Gamma World. Well, I mean, I mean, someone like you would know, you know. I mean, it's actually credited in the back that the table, yeah. you know, the table, you know, it, it it actually was influenced by 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 I think Gamma World. Yeah. Uh, but 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 nobody knew that, you know. You know, you know, probably because most of the people that were making the comments were like under thirty five or something. Right. But 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 it was really only a couple of comments that out of God, I I just got dozens and dozens, you know? uh, and and everybody you did said right, though, if, if everybody you got that said, much feedback, you did something right. Well, everybody said, oh, this is really stupid, you know, <laughs> like like it's really dumb, and you know, it just feels like really, it feels really pointless to sit here and just keep on rolling d tens and like why don't why don't you sort of do a mechanic like why don't you just make it an intelligence check or something like that? And it was like, and it was like you know and. I'd sort of felt like I'd sort of delved, you know, too far back into the history, you know, and, and, and what's interesting too, you know, I'm doing this Kickstarter now for dungeon, this kind of mega dungeon scene, right. And I'm going to commission, you know, as part of the stretch goals, I'm going to commission some original art to, to include, right. Yeah. But the way I'm going to do it is, 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 uh, you know, if I can hopefully sort of get like, say, you know, say eight pieces of original art, depending on, depending on the funding level, I'm actually going to take the idea that was an expedition in the Barrier Peaks, and I think in the Tomb of Horrors, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, where I'm actually going to put all the art at the very end. So it's going to, going to be eight pages of art, basically with the room numbers at the bottom so that so the referee can actually show the players. Yes. And I'm sort of wondering what people will say about that. They'll probably think that that's a really bad idea too, you know, of actually not interspersing the art throughout the adventure, but actually all having it at the back in the appendix. Because I, I actually thought that those kinds of handouts that the TSR people did, you know, you know, with things like Expedition were just fantastic. You know, they were just absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to sort of try that idea, which, which again, too, is influenced by a game from, you know, you know, something that came out in the 70s. And I'm sort of expecting to get a lot of negative feedback about that as well. You know, people saying, oh, why, why did you put all the art at the very end? You know, like, you know, why did you put eight pages of art, and not have it sort of, you know, on, on, on the page of the dungeon or, or, or whatever. So, I mean, I'm okay with that, but, 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 you know, but in terms of things that I've been kind of influenced by, like it's, it's really, you know, a lot of stuff that's in, you know, the very, very early days of the hobby, you know, like, you know, the seventies, for example, you know, that I actually really like to go that far back in terms of making some of the design choices of what I'm doing. Well, and I think too, you know, you go to like, <clears throat> excuse me, Dungeon World, I think it is. They didn't have much of an art budget, but they they were able to, through layout and do some, do some interesting things. So I think, right, you can still break up pages and do stuff without having to use art, you know, as as well. So I think there's... You know, I think we're all kind of tied into sometimes thinking a certain way. And I've kind of wondered about just ways of using graphical elements uh, when art's lacking um, to be able to create a, a good flow and, and make pages look distinct. Yeah, I mean, all those, yeah, all, all those things are, yeah, things you have to consider because, of course, art costs money, right? You know, oh, and, yes. uh, and, 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 and it's one of those things that, you know, if, if you're looking to kind of fill the gaps, you know, and, and you start sort of working it all out, I mean, you know, you can easily run into, say, you know, say for a zine, I mean, depending on how much art you wanted to put, say, into a 48 page zine, I mean, you could easily run into, you know, say, a couple of thousand dollars, 
you know, in terms of um, original art commissions, you know, up to, you know, uh, you know, if you're, but, but, you know, it, 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 it's, it's one of these things because, you know, you want to create a visually rich page other than just walls of text, you know, and then, you know, you know, that, that's another sort of challenge when, when you're doing a layout. It's kind of like, well, you know, how do you actually fill the gap and actually make, you know, perhaps a, I wouldn't I wouldn't say you have to make every page spread unique, but ha, how do you how do you sort of just uh, sort of just put something in there that will, you know, you know, that will activate the layout? I mean, the obvious thing is to do it with art, but again, too, you know, art, art costs money and, and 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 not everybody has you know the budget to do that you know and i mean i didn't you know that that was one of the reasons that i sort of chose public domain you know because i, I you know for 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 aquilas for the first two issues because i just wasn't ready i didn't feel confident enough that uh that if i you know commissioned art that i i would at least kind of break even right from sales you know like i i didn't really want to take that risk you know like in the early days where I, I basically just didn't even know what I was doing, you know, and, 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 and then to go and spend, you know, like a grand or two on art was, was just something, you know, I just simply wasn't ready to do. Wasn't well, confident, I think, wasn't confident right. enough to do that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I met, uh, as I've just, um, <laughs> I just, I posted on, on Twitter. Yeah. I've, I'm looking at probably, I mean, when you're only making, let's say your margins only like say $5 a book, you know, yeah, it, yeah, that's, or, that's so probably about right. It, it's like, you know, you got to sell, you know, if you're, if you're paying a hundred dollars, you got to sell that art's got to basically buy you 20 copies to break even, you know, and then you start looking at like that. It's like, you really have to start, it really starts becoming pretty significant. And a lot of times if you're not getting the number of backers or, or people doing it, it's, it's hard to get because those margins, it doesn't look like the mounts are much, but it, with those margins, it is, it takes quite a bit of, of funding to actually pay that off. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the thing is with art, it, it just kind of adds up really quickly, you know, um, and, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things, like, I think with Nightland, I kind of went like a little bit overboard, like I actually commissioned a lot of art for that, but I was really kind of happy with how it all turned out, but it's just, um, you know, but but it is one of those things that you know that 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 uh, yeah. You know, I mean, l luckily there's Kickstarter, um, so uh, you know, so that 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 gives you a bit more of an idea of what sort of budget you can have. But look, I mean, the other you know, the other hard thing I found with with kind of artists as well, you know, is because um, you know because I've got a few things now. I'm working on where, where I have contacted a number of artists. I mean, one, one of the difficult things I found is just kind of availability, is, is artists who you want to work with and, and actually having availability in their schedule. Because I think, you know, good art takes a long time to do. I mean, it's very time consuming for an artist. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and, and finding artists that, you know, mm -hmm. say, say, you know, you, I mean, it, it, it happened to me a couple of times in the last few weeks where, you know, there are a couple of artists who, who I've never approached before, never worked with, um, who I said, well, you know, you know, uh, you know, inquiring about doing, com you know, c commissions, you know, not many drawings, say, 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 you know, a couple each. 
but you know, but 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 the wait time was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to do it, but I'm kind of busy for the next kind of six months or nine months. I've got kind of too much on, you know, working for this company and this company and do, doing stuff for this person, and that's kind of one of the difficult. That's one of the other things about, um, c- c- you know, working with artists is it it is actually if they have time to work on your project. Right. I think if, if, if you're looking for people who are in demand and who right. maybe aren't, aren't, cause you know, obviously too, it's like what you're doing, maybe just as they're making maybe more money doing other things. So you need to be planning, you know, uh, six months or a year ahead. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, that, that, that's what I've kind of, realize now that it, it, it's really good to plan like but, so, but, yeah. but you have to pay them up front because this is this is where i'm at you know there you can't say okay i'm going to do a kickstarter and then get somebody lined up because that can throw your kickstarter way off you know if you're planning on a particular person so i guess we're certain key people you need to know ahead of time or if yeah because if you say i really want this person to do my cover and they're a year out or six months out, you need to make sure that you you commission them early, not after the the project. Yeah, finds. yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's something that you know, depending on your project. But it, it, if you were to do something where you really wanted something specific, and that's what you wanted to present to backers, then I I think that you know, paying up front, you know, for for all anyone that you hired, you know, uh, it, you know, it is just something, especially with artists is, is something that you'd have to kind of bite the bullet and, and, and do, you know, it would be, it, it, it would, it would just simply be too much of a risk to say, well, I'm going to use this artist. And for some reason it just doesn't happen. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. like to say, well, you know, we've got this artist lined up and then, and then kind of your Kickstarter <laughs> finishes and they said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I've just taken this work on or something's happened. And then, you know, so, so that's just, but, but, you know, I, I, I have seen, you know, from, uh, you know, just experiences with other, you know, producers of, of books, you know, who, who do hire artists is that I, I sort of get the sense that most people tend to actually get all the art done before the Kickstarter and they actually sort of pay out of pocket, you know, and, and then there's a the hope that they do the Kickstarter and then yeah. that kind of just basically then kind of covers everything, you know? Yeah, that's that's the way I'm I am doing this one. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't imagine. I mean, I couldn't imagine asking an artist like it's something I would never do. But I, I I wouldn't kind of say to an artist ever like, oh, can you do five drawings now? And I'm doing a Kickstarter in six months. And you know, when the Kickstarter funds, I'll pay you. You know, that's just something that that's just something I would I, I would never think of doing. You know, I mean, I mean, you would have to have you know, you would have to have a very particular relationship with the artist and, you know, the artist would have to be, you know, say, for example, a, a prime collaborator with what you're doing, you know, where it was just kind right. of mutual, mutual ownership and you sort of went into it saying, well, let's make a book together. You do the art, I do the writing. Um, and, you know, and, you know, whatever happens with the Kickstarter, we'll kind of split it 50-50 or something, you know, after 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 we pay, pay all our expenses. I mean, that that can probably, that can that can work. But I wouldn't sort of go to someone and say, you know, make five drawings for nothing now and I'll sort of pay you in a year, you know. It, it just would be like just, I don't know, it just wouldn't be something I would ever kind of think of doing, you know. Well, and I think you and I, we're, we're planning on doing this for a while and you want good relationships. 
um, you don't want to be creating bad relationships. No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean you want good relationships. And I kind of think that, you know, from, uh, you know, having worked with artists kind of as, as a job, basically, in Australia, I mean, I mean, I mean, the best way to, 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 to sort of, to, to maintain uh, a good relationship with artists to be honourable and pay quickly, you know, that, 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 that just kind of sums it up, you know, that, that you just want to, you know, that you just want to, you know, you don't want to kind of negotiate, you know, you want to respect what people want to charge you, you know, obviously if it's a really in-demand artist, they're going to charge you more and, you know, you, you don't just want to haggle with artists, you know, you just want to respect what, you know, they think they're right. Worth. And, and, and if they're too expensive, then they're too expensive, you know, and then you, you, you kind of have to like maybe look for someone else, you know, um, and, and, and then, you know, when, when you get the invoice, you just want to pay it quickly, you know, and, and, and that's, I think, one of the best ways to kind of work with artists. And, it, you know, it's, a very, it's very simple, but I, I've sort of found that that's what kind of works because, you know, that, then people want to work with you because they just kind of know that, you know, they're going to say, well, you know, how much is a full page illustration? And they say it's 200 and they know you're not going to say, well, can you do it for a hundred, you know, or can you do it for whatever? Uh, your, and, best and, bet, your best bet is to say, you know what, it's more than my budget allows for this time. I really want to use you sometime. But oh, I don't absolutely. Have budget yeah. This time. And they, may, the, and they may come down, but you're not that's right. with them. No, that's, that's the best way to do it because, you know, if you can't sort of, you know, it, you know, if it's not within your budget, then it's just not within your budget, you know, and then you just, you know, but there will probably be someone that, that is within your budget who might not be as in demand or as accomplished or have done it for long. And I think you just have to kind of respect that, you know, with, um, you know, with, uh, you know, because I think, you know, I, I think people get paid not much when, when, when doing uh, sort of stuff. For, for games, especially in in the independent side of game, you know, like word rates and art and whatever and layout, you know, people are paid to do that. And I just think, think you just kind of, you know, it, you know, it, if you want to use someone, just just kind of, uh, you know, just just respect what they ask. Yeah, and that's what's hard because I think you know, you know, going back to expectations, um, you know, you know, it's easy for us when I say us I mean we'll just say the little guys looking at the big companies or people doing real well uh, with their kickstarters and wanting to improve our zine but that is so costly um and it doesn't like right now uh like for for fame of the fly god I've doing a, a very reasonable rate for developmental editing somebody's doing that and some copy editing um I just commissioned a um I just commissioned a uh, color cover for it. Right. I've also, um, I'm going to pay my daughter for, she's also helping with the layout. So she's going to spiff it up. Um, I've got another artist that I paid a lower rate that I'm going to work the Kickstarter so that if it gets past a certain point, I'm going to, I'm going to, he's going to get, you know, tipped. Um, but anyway, you know, just nothing's out of line here. Um, with this, I think right now I have $700 of art budget. I have $200 in layout, $300 of copy editing um, with book costs and me and I ain't getting paid a dime. It's going to be $8,000 before I break even and I'm not even getting paid. So it's just, and, and, and this is something, this is something you're going to use Kickstarter to try and fund. I am. So it's going to fund it. So the, the thing is, I mean, 
even though I need to be $8,000 to break even, it's the, the books are going to cost, could be costing me over $15 a piece. So how many pages uh, is your book going to be? Uh, it's going to be, it's probably going to be over a hundred pages. So you're going to what release it as a hardcover? No, uh, this, I'm just, I was, I'm still trying to work out, see if I can get it. <laughs> Let's see if I can still get it stapled as, uh, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to go perfect bound. I, Right. And, and, and what, you're going to use Mixam to do this? No, I'm, I'm looking at, no, I'm looking at, uh, there's a company, um, oh, I forget, uh, in Ann Arbor, and there's also a local company I'm going to talk to. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think, I, I think it would be very hard to get a 100-page book staple-bound unless it was oversized, unless it was kind of 8.5 8, 8, 8. by 11 inches. Oh, it's actually, that doesn't really matter. Uh, the staple, right. No, because you're already doing the stapling through the thickness of the paper. Now the question is, how usable is it? Is it? That's the All next right. question. But my wife, well, I said something to my wife. She showed me a um, a ruled notepad book, and it's thick, and they actually, uh, it's actually stitched. And so I think I told her it's probably companies in Taiwan or China. They they they're that's what they do is they mass produce these thick. I think stitched would definitely work. I'd, I'd, I'd be, yeah, I'd be, I'd be sort of cautious about, uh, yeah, staples on a hundred page book. I'm just wondering how, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think the difficult thing about that in terms of the layout, and this is something that uh, is, 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 is that the pages, you know, the pages towards the, you know, the outer part of the book, like the inside cover. Oh Yeah tend to be a lot wider than say the pages in, in the, in the middle. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's really, you know, they call that the creep, you know, when, yeah. when, when, when doing books and it, it's really making provisions for that. So your book, when it's printed, it just doesn't look out of whack, you know, which means that like the first 20 pages, you know, you might have the right hand page, you might have the text, you know, like point, point two inches from the edge. And then sort of, as you get into the middle, it goes to point three, four inches or something like that, because, because they have to take into account, you know, that the pages, uh, you know, you know, towards the front and the very back are actually right. a lot, to, bi- a, a to lot take bigger. An ex- to take an extreme, let's just say you're wanting to take, um, do a, a, a normal zine and you're wanting to s- stack a hundred sheets of paper, drive a staple through it, fold it in half, your outside sheets are going to be five and a half by eight, but your inside might only be like three inches wide. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I've looked into it with Mixum, and they and they say that they can get up to I think sixty eight pages with uh with that's, a staple with a staple bound zine. That's yeah, sixty eight pages. Right, but I'm I'm going to need a. I'm probably going to be dealing with maybe a hundred and. A little over hundred, whatever that's going to be. Right, I think, right. I think, but uh, but it's going to be comic book size. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Well, well, well. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, you could be fine. Well, yeah, I. But the, the thing is, is in some ways, I kind of was wanting this thing to be very usable, and I wasn't necessarily worried about it. But now I'm kind of, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of going through a crisis right now, silly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, look, 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 look. I mean, all those things, you know, like, uh, you know, when when doing production, just have to be taken into account. You know, it's kind of like how big is it going to be, the size, you know, 
do you go hardcover? Do you go perfect bound? You know, you know, all these things are just kind of yet yeah, de decisions, and uh, you know, they're they're kind of restrictions that we all have, especially when you're doing sort of independent sort of publishing. You know, when when you're paying for it yourself, because the thing is, you know, with companies like Mixum, you know, when you're doing sort of a like a print run of say 100 or 200 and you're getting it done digitally, you know, and you're doing it say zine size, you know, which is whatever it is, you know, 8.3 by 5.5 or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly affordable. You know, you, you can sort of, you, you can sort of make copies for, you know, you can make full yes. color copies for, for like two and a half bucks, right. Per copy. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the quality is unbelievable, you know, because they use this, they use an amazing machine called a HP Indigo 7600, which is just astonishing. It's like a half a million dollar printer, digital printer, which, which, which kind of does, I think, much better work than a four color lithographic printer, right? It, it, easily on par, if not better, the color's richer, right? But, but when you start sort of really upping the ante and then get into, you know, hardcovers and Smith's own and all that kind of stuff, it becomes incredibly expensive. You know, I mean, I mean, the jump is just, um, I mean, there's an order of magnitude in the jump, you know, and, and it gets to a point where, it, you know, if you start doing all that kind of sewn stuff, so it lays flat on the table, I mean, it gets to a point where, you know, to, to really make it worth your while, I mean, you have to be printing like a couple of thousand, you know, because yes. the thing is with, you know, the thing is with digital printing, right? Like I, I've had a lot of experience with digital because I used to do a lot of publishing back in Australia. And the thing is with digital, you know, it, you know, if you do five copies or if you do 500 copies in digital, there's not really much of a price difference in terms of the individual copy. It's kind of negligible. Yes. It's, it's not like nothing, but it's negligible because, you know, there's no setup cost to doing digital printing. It's just, you know, it's all basically fed through this kind of, it's sheets fed through basically what's a glorified inkjet printer, right? And a, a very good one at that. But, but when you start doing traditional printing where they print off plates, you know, like doing, say, a thousand copies or 5,000 copies, the, the difference might be double the price. It's not five times the price, right? So, so, so there's all these kinds of considerations to make. And I, and I think to kind of, uh, I think to, you know, to, to, to say work in say independently produced RPGs and to say, you know, you know, make a profit out of it or, or to actually come out of it where you actually make some money for yourself. You know, I think there has to be, you know, the volume there. You know, I mean, you have to be, oh, yeah. you have to be, I mean, you have to be making like, you have to be making a book for say five bucks and selling it for 25 or 30, you know, uh, you know, because that covers, you know, you might be selling it to a distributor where they take 50%, you know, and th then you have to pay all your outgoings for the art and stuff like that. So I think, you you know, you, you know, you really need kind of the volume, you know, to kind of do it. And I think, I think, you know, the successful Kickstarter sort of get that, like when you see these, you know, Kickstarters that do like a hundred or $200,000, I mean, you know, a significant portion of that is going to production, you know, like, you know, but, but, but I think that that's kind of where, that's kind of where, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, I think that that's where, you know, that's where it becomes something where, you know, you can actually make, say, you know, money out of RPGs. But, you know, I think if you, you know, I think if you're, I think if you're doing like, say, what I do, you know, which is kind of making, um, you know, books, you know, and kind of, you know, making 48 page books, generally, they're about that at the moment. It's kind of like, you know, all the sales and stuff like that, you know, kind of basically, you know, just go back to basically paying, 
for, uh, you know, they go back to paying for your costs, especially if you use original work. And, and then you actually start kind of making a profit, like you know, kind of like a year later. Yes. But by the sales that happen after that. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, you can, if you're going to continuously, yeah, just, that's just it. That's what's hard. If you're going to continue to do Kickstarters and you, you keep uh, a backlog of inventory, there's potential for making uh, some money there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what I sort of find is that I, I have a website where I sell my books, right? Um, you know, there's only four listed up there. And, you know, there's, there's a couple more that will be up there in the next sort of month or so, but there's four. But I sort of find I do get kind of really regular sales from that. And, and most people buy more than one book. Right. Like, it's very rare that someone buys one, right? You know, I think... Um, I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's kind of, you know, you know, people, you know, generally buy two, if not kind of all of them, right? And 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 I I I do get kind of very regular sales on drive through RPG, like I think surprising amount of sales on drive through, where you know where people just buy it as a PDF, and I and I, I kind of think, well, who'd have thought there'd be just a market for people just buying something digitally? But I I, I think where 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 I think RPGs can become kind of profitable, it's when you have a lot of you, ha- you just have a lot of content up there. You know, you have a lot of choice. So it's not just one thing. You have like like 10 things, you know, and that's where there's just kind of residual sales from kind of everything, you know, because you just don't know what people's taste is going to be. But I think that that's where it kind of, uh, you know, I think that that's where uh, potentially it becomes, you know, viable for someone to say, make a living off producing ind- ind- independent work, you know, is, is, is that you just have to have a lot of content. Well, I think the thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I shouldn't speak for you, but I think for you and I, uh, we're dabbling and our idea is to make some money. But I think if you and I were actually saying, you know what, this needs to be an important part of my income, we'd be making different decisions. You'd be making different decisions, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, what I do is kind of like auto kind of stuff. It's like a one person show that kind of does most things and commission stuff. And that's kind of fine for the time being, but to kind of, you know, get into something that's kind of like a proper business and to get that sort of scale, it, it, it really means you, you know, you, you really have to, yeah, making different kinds of decisions, making different kinds of books, you know, you, you probably have to be hiring people, uh, but, you know, because it's simply impossible for like, uh, for someone like me to, to, to kind of just make an, an enough content. It's just kind of, it's just humanly impossible to kind of, you know, but, you know, if, if, if you were kind of sitting down and, you know, like, say, you know, uh, if I, you know, if I sort of called for submissions and decided to publish like five hardback adventures, you know, then that's, you know, that, but that's a different kind of game altogether. Yeah. And I do have some ideas for some uh, low graphic content, high word, higher word count type things. Um, I'm going to try explore maybe next year, but uh, and well, actually, I just tell you what I'm thinking about. I'll just go ahead and throw this out there. No secret. I'm thinking about doing a project called um, a zine called Gary's Appendix. Right, right. And cool. the idea would be: if you are you familiar with the Kobold Press uh, books that they put out? I, I I I think I am like their monster manuals and things like that. Well, they're, they're, they're like guide, guides to like monster building guides to. Oh, yeah, I, I I do know those. Yeah, yeah. So something along that format where, um, so you've read, obviously, the first edition D&D um, sure. uh, DM's Guide? Yes, yes. 
you know how it's just full of just odds and ends? Yeah. Have everybody have uh, groups of people just write um, essays. And it just be interesting essays and they don't have to be directly gameable, but just interesting essays. It could be writing about gemstones. It could be writing about, you know, things that you could still be usable in a game, but aren't necessarily have to be gameable. And they would just be interesting articles to read. And um, and then set up, I was thinking about doing is paying everybody up front like three cents a word and then set up stretch goals to increase the, the pay at certain levels. Right, right. Well, that's a really great idea. And, you know, you know, I mean, you mentioned the DMs guide. I mean, I actually think of that because I did a really, really close reading of that about a year ago, like really close, where I hadn't really read it closely for like, you know, long, you know, since the 80s. And I actually think of that as a collection of blog posts by Gary Gygax. Yes. And it's so random, right? Like when you yes. actually think about it, it's so random that I think the very first article in the DMs guide is like about lycanthropy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, what is that even about? You know, I mean, what is that even about? Like, 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 why would you, why would you actually start a DMs guide? where one of the very first articles is about lycanthropy, you know, it's just, it really doesn't make any sense. And, 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 and when you look at it closely, I mean, it's just, it's really DM's advice. Like it's, it, it's really hard. It, it's really hard to know what kind of rules there are in there that, you know, because it's all sort of buried. It's really, everything's so deeply buried within there. Like, you know, there's no sort of coherent sort of form of any but, but real kind of really it's not even really DM's advice. It's just here. Here's your yeah, rules I mean, for disease and parasites based on the location, your chances of getting a parasite or a disease and a random yeah. table determine that. I mean, th like, it's interesting, but it's like, oh, it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah. But, but, but it's really a unique kind of thing in gaming history. I mean, I mean, every single article in that book could easily be just an article in dragon magazine. Yes. Of the time, you know, quite easily. But, but it really is, like, if you think about it, it really would be Gary Gygax's blog posts if he was a blogger, to, you know, say, if he was a blogger in 2007, say, or 2008. That's what it is because, you know, I, it's, I mean, it's a magnificent book and it's very, very rich in some, you know, it, you know and, and I, I love the sort of Gygaxian prose and stuff like that. I mean, it's so unique. It's so, it's so wonderful. I mean, it's such, the art's great. The cover's great. I mean, it's just kind of a seminal and iconic thing. But... But it's but it but on the close reading, I think it's a really strange book. It is. I mean, it's a really, really, really strange book. It's nothing kind of like, like that will ever happen again. Nothing like that will ever happen again. And 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 the lenses that I look through it now as a, a as kind of a mature person was is is so different to, to how I remember it. I just didn't remember it as being so kind of kind of esoteric in a sense. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But it's an well, amazing yeah. thing, and I, I really think people should do a close reading of the book because because they'll realize it's just it's just such an oddity, you know. If you, I was talking to, I think it was Dan Wilson. If you can imagine a world without an internet, this book would rule. It's all in there. It's you can dig through it, but you know now we we take it for granted. We can look anything up anytime, but it's kind of like a disjointed encyclopedia of of articles. And, and and it's also about like how to how to actually run games like and 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 there are just nuggets that are just buried in there and that's why you have to do a close reading because there'll be a sentence 
in there in some sort of in in some article in in some you know uh, you know in a section about something and it's kind of really profound advice you know but it's just kind of just buried in there it's just like a, it's just like an odd sentence or something like that but but you know but it's a uh, yeah but it's a uh, but i think i think a book like that would be you know your book sounds great i mean i i actually uh you know I think things like that would be, you know, super, super interesting. I mean, I think Knock does that, right? That that compilation Knock. I mean, they, it they does. Seem, it, they but, seem there is, to, but there seems to be more directly, not all of them, but seemed very directly like random tables for this or odds and ends that I'm just talking about just something you just sit down and read, not necessarily look for random tables. Not something that's directly gameable, but something that's maybe inspiring or gets people thinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know that you know there'd be no shortage of readers for that because I think I sort of suspect that sort of. I mean, I follow a lot of OSR blogs. You know, probably like fifty or sixty or something. But I yeah. sort of suspect that generally readership for blogs has gone down. Yes. Right. It's, you know, especially after G plus. You know, I think readership for blogs has gone down, and I I, I kind of think that. I think forums have kind of probably gone down with, with, with some very few exceptions, but I think any sort of conversations or information sharing now t- tends to be on things like Facebook. Yes. You know, because I just kind of, I mean, I, I still look at sort of some forums, like I sometimes go into these like AD&D forums, I think Dragon's Foot. And, you know, I sometimes go into the Goodman Games forums, which used to be active years ago. But, you know, but, but, but there's kind of very little activity on these now. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's nothing, but it's it's certainly not what it was like, say, five, six years ago. And yeah, I think either, to some, it's, yeah, it's either Facebook or it's Discord. That's that's pretty much, I would say, 95 percent of. Yeah. And, and, on there. And, and, and something like Discord, I mean, it, it, it I, I find that really, really difficult to use. You know, like I find that <laughs> I, I really I really find it difficult to use because it's, it, you know, I, I'm a member of like it a bunch of groups and I occasionally sort of go in there, but I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I, I don't really interact. I, I don't really post messages and things because I'm just not sure. I'm just not, I, I just can't sort of figure it out. It's kind of like 20 people having a conversation with, with each other simultaneously. It's and not it's always really, clear. Right. But it's also, it's really hard wait. to know where conversations start and stop, you know, and when you reply exactly. to things, it's really hard to, it's really hard to follow threads I mean, things like Facebook, you know, is a bit more sort of organized where, you know, where, you know, you get notifications and you can sort of comment on things and you can post things and it's, you know, it, it has a bit more organization. But I think Discord is something like, you know, it really is like going into a room of like 20 or 30 people and they're all talking at the same time. And it's kind of like, you know, you can sort of decide to kind of tune into the, the person next to you and hear what they have to say and maybe say something. But but I find that as as kind of a as an ongoing uh, you know as as a platform to engage with on an ongoing basis, I just find for me it's completely unusable. I I agree. If you it's can complete. keep the number, if you if you just you and your home group, it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, but anything beyond when you start getting to hundred people chatting all the time, it's it's yeah. I'm like you. I find it very disjointing. Yeah, very. Yeah. Discord. But, 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 yeah, but, but but having said that, I, I actually do play a game on Discord, a weekly game on a Sunday. But you know, that's just using Discord video, and there's just a text channel where we just say, "Are we gaming this week? Aren't we? Or who's in? Who's out? Whatever." And that's that's really great, right? So 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 using it for something like that is terrific. 
but sort of but joining a group where there's just like a thousand members and there's just this oh, kind yeah. of this scroll of text sort of going up just you know when, when you get to the main chat channel it's kind of just not for me you know it's just it's it, it's too confusing yeah we're getting old <laughs> indeed <laughs> those neural pathways they're rigidly set <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, they kind of are, but, you know, but, uh, but, 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 you know, but I suppose that, you know, for, you know, for, for, for a much younger generation, it just seems to be, uh, you know, it, it seems to be that th there are a lot of really active communities on Discord, like, you know, things like, you know, the mothership community is unbelievably active, you know, which I'm a member of and just check out occasionally Mork Borg, you know, there's an OSR group, which just seems, yeah, you know, the OS, you know, the ne necrotic gnome Discord is really active the exalted funeral discord seems really kind of active as well but but you know but 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 yeah you know you you know i i think it's just kind of a, a rabbit hole you know and it's just something I, I i just don't really have the time or the mental bandwidth for at this point in my life well for me it's like i don't have a lot of followers on on twitter and i have all the notifications on so every time somebody likes ding ding well i commissioned a person to do the maps for me and she I didn't she has a lot of followers and very active and my phone was like going off all the time. It is like driving me crazy. So right, right. I think if you're a type of person that constantly interacts and get the likes of those dopamine hits or you're the type of person that says, you know what, you know, five, six, seven, eight times an hour for every hour. That's just like, stop. <laughs> but for people who are into discord active, I mean, they're constantly checking and I can't handle the, the loss of, I'm, concentration on anything i'm doing to be monitoring something to that degree yeah it's just something that's too much for me you know like i mean i have discords on you know facebook for the osr groups and that's kind of enough for me um and and, and twitter as well but that's kind of about what my mind has the capacity for like to, to actually then introduce another sort of social platform which you significantly sort of make content for and contribute to you know i just think i'll, I'll just leave that to, to, to others yeah, it just takes too much energy to to, to keep much abreast energy. of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, we, I we agree. Right. Well, I think we're hitting the time uh, space continuum, uh, Vasily. I think <laughs> I think we hit the two hour mark. Or no, oh. hour and a half. Oh no, it's been yeah. We started at eight, right? So yeah, we pro we probably ought to call today. Cool. Well, it was great, great chatting to you, Jeff. Oh, it was an amazing time, Vasily. We'll uh, we'll have to. <laughs> I don't know if we can find anything else to talk about. Just kidding. Uh, we'll have to get together some time and uh, have you back on, and we can uh, find other things to ramble yep. about. Okay.